Loving Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come before you and share ideas for sharing Christ. And we pray that you will guide our conversation and open the window in our hearts to have new ideas of sharing you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so my name is Patty Guthrie, and we're just going to be sharing together, and each of us will uh, take a few moments to share about ourselves. And I'm going to pass the microphone down to the end to Dave Sharp for him to start, and we'll tell a little bit about our background and uh, why we're here, and, and then we'll begin our discussion. Thank you, Patty. My name is Dave Sharp. I'm the Deputy Director for Center for Online Evangelism. I've been in this role for the past nine years, and it's been an interesting ride getting to that point. Uh, I have been involved in some form of marketing most of my working life, and then uh, back in 1994, I quit my job working with a mail order house and decided that I could write better sales letters than what I had been seeing, and it turned out that it wasn't as easy as I thought. So uh, I started studying, learning more about uh, how to do good content, sales letters, persuasion, and so on, and then moved gradually into developing websites and just a, a very, uh, very interesting unplanned path of going from one skill set to another and, and I always was thinking, uh, you know, man, if I could just get focused and get some things figured out and, and I, could, you know, I could accomplish something. It turns out that God was preparing me for this job because I've used everything that I have learned previously in this role and it's allowed me to, to help build a, a very strong team and uh, a little bit about Center for Online Evangelism. We're different from most of the ministry projects you will see and hear about, and especially in the denomination, in optimizing and developing content for them. And we also have a project called Ask an Adventist Friend, and if you stop by our booth, you'll see that that's what we're promoting at this event. Ask an Adventist Friend is designed to capture that audience of people who are asking questions. They want an answer right now. And uh, we'd be happy to talk with you about it and sh show you some of the, the pages and so on. Uh, but that's a little bit about me, and I'll hand it off to Narlin. All right. My name is Narlin Edwards, and um, at the tender age of 17, the Lord tugged on my heart. Oh, and through some of his providences, you know, I became an Adventist at age 17. And um, that was in New York City. And God immediately thrusted me into evangelism. So I had some young friends, and we were very zealous for the Lord. And we went all over the streets of New York, the buses and the train stations. Um, I mean, in the midst of rush hour, I'm not sure if you guys have ever been to New York in rush hour. But we'll be on the trains and buses preaching and teaching and giving out tracts, the National Sunday Law, Great Controversies. And uh, I quickly became the evangelism leader for our church. And um, then I became a Bible worker and then an evangelist myself. So evangelism is, is engraved in who I am as an Adventist. I don't know of any other way but to evangelize. And um, I was trained as a medical missionary in 2009, and then I became a medical missionary evangelist, and I saw the combined work, how effective it is to combine health with the gospel. And since then, the, God has opened doors for me to travel the globe pretty much, uh, sharing the gospel of health. And through that experience, I was called at Weimar, and I became the evangelism director there for the last four years. And we started a program initiative 
which is a spin-off of the TMI initiative of the church called TCI, which is an acronym for Total Community Involvement. And it's pretty much just doing friendship evangelism, finding out what the needs of the communities are, and simply going out and meeting them. And uh, I work with all the community leaders, the mayors, the governors, the councilmen, and different persons of that nature. And we created a model that I believe is, it could, could be and should be replicated in all of our institutions and in all of our churches. Um, this May, I transitioned out of Weimar because the Lord blessed me with another ministry that I'm now directing in Stanton, Kentucky called Red River Outpost. And again, that this, this entire ministry is, is driven by evangelism. And what we're trying to do with this school is, is it's a practical uh, training school. And what we're trying to do with it is, is have a model where every single department and every single person is involved in evangelism. So I know that there's stipulations at times that, you know, I'm only the the gardener, or I'm only the grounds person, or I'm only the cook. I don't go out. Uh, but we're, what we're trying to do is create a model where everyone sees the need for themselves to be actively engaged in evangelism. And every department has to have an evangelism thrust. So uh, just keep us in prayer. Um, if you want to learn more about that ministry, you can come and see us. Uh, we're opening up a restaurant and bakery and doing various things of that nature, but it's all through the lens of evangelism. And we'd like to share more of that plan with you. And I'm happy to be with you this morning. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris Matz, and I uh, became an Adventist about five years ago. Um, came into the church, did a bunch of Bible studies very quickly, and just fell in love with Jesus and wanted to share him with everybody that I could uh, come in contact with. And so I started doing canvassing and Bible working and just going all in with evangelism and sharing Jesus. Um, during that time, um, I had a lot of skills in digital marketing, um, social media advertising, things like that. And so when I was working with different ministries, they would ask me to help them with their social media marketing and uh, digital marketing. And so I would help them. And then it uh, seems like there was a lot of demand for that. A lot of people needed that type of thing. And so we started working with a lot of ministries in the church. And it grew past what I could do myself. And so we hired a team. And my company, Advent Digital Marketing, was born. So. We work with a lot of different ministries in the church, and then we also work with a lot of for-profit companies owned by Adventists as well. And uh, we have some uh, projects that we do from time to time that involve digital evangelism, which is the intent of reaching people through online means. Um, what we specifically do is the paid advertising side of that. So this is those ads that you would see on Facebook and Instagram and Google and YouTube and LinkedIn and all these different platforms. And we uh, pay them to get an ad in front of specific target audiences. Um, and when people click, we often are trying to get them to sign up for a Bible study or a prophecy seminar or a health program or many different things. And so um, over the past uh, 24 months, we've generated about 100,000 Bible study leads um, using these different methods and um, have tried a lot of different things, found some success and uh, experienced some failures. And so we've learned a lot and kind of carved the way to, to figuring out how to do that through um, paid advertising online. Um, we've created a course for people to be able to learn how to do this in their local church. Um, because at the end of the day, um, everything comes down to what the local church can do. And so um, we want to empower and equip people in their local community to be able to reach out and win souls uh, for the local church. And yeah, so happy to be with you guys this morning. Okay, so this is going to be an interesting discussion because we have diverse uh, 
backgrounds here, so I'll share share mine as um, a homemaker and a retired homeschool mother, but not retired from working because I work for free. And there's a lot of people that would like uh, to employ anyone who's willing to work for free, <laughs> including ASI. <laughs> so I'm uh, happy to be here. And I would just like to share, so for maybe 20, 30 years, I've done health ministry. I have a master's in public health. So that's been a passion of mine in our local church doing health ministry. And then uh, without... We have a very small church, so then I branched into giving Bible studies, and that's been very rewarding. Uh, So I love the personal contact, uh, one-on-one, small groups, uh, sharing. I'm comfortable sharing up front, but I don't have any burden to, you know, be a a public evangelist, but I love the one-on-one. And um, during COVID, there was a real challenge because there was this tremendous fear that descended upon us that we needed to stay apart, and and I think that still exists to some degree, but I believe that God has put in our hearts a a need to be together, and so we've tried to navigate that in our own church during COVID. So the first summer of 2021, we had a a four-night series on natural remedies, and we invited the community, and we had, I think it was over the course of the week, 90 people came Uh, For each night, we had more like 60, but some would come some nights, and we did a variety of natural remedies and cooking demos, and we just had everyone spaced out through the entire sanctuary. We have a high-flow ventilation system in our church that evacuates the air from the back to the front, so we also have, we're in the mountains, we're not in the city, so we didn't end up having any problem with spread in that environment, and people were so... um, eager to be together and just really relished that opportunity for in-person. Going forward to last winter, we had an evangelistic series in person in our church. Uh, Just on the the online versus in-person aspect, with that evangelist that came, he did a tremendous job. And his format is that when you have people come, you get all their contact information, you type it into a computer, and then you give, print out a, a name badge for them with a barcode and every time they come in you scan their barcode so it's all computerized and then you can leave the contact information with the pastor afterwards and continue to follow up are you all familiar do you do those kinds of things so this is what happened in our church no one wanted to give anything more than at most their first name and so the evangelist had no contact information to go on except what he could glean from personally talking to some of the guests who came we had a good series but in terms of having contacts, it was very minimal. So uh, as a follow-on to our evangelistic series, we planned a pathway, let's see, what do we call it? Um, Nature's Path to Better Health. We did an eight-week series. I made it up. Like It's not a series you can find anywhere. But Nature's Path to Better Health, we invited all local people. Every week we had, it was a, a component of the Bible, some Bible story that related to natural remedies or health or healing. And we emphasized Jesus' love. And, then, and we also had a cooking demo. And we had someone who would give a talk on gardening or vitamin D or some aspect of health, a local health professional. And people engaged in that. They were very, uh, asked a lot of questions, but on the contact side was where I was headed with this. When people came in, knowing that we were unable to get contacts at all via the computer, and I used to have like sign-up sheets. This time I had little three-by-five index cards in which we hand-wrote name, address, phone, email. 
by hand on each card. And we just had them up there, and we just put them out on the table. And if it was your first time coming, we just invited people to fill out one of those cards so we could let them know I could send them. I, and I made a little flyer, a digital flyer, for every every week. So I would say, I'll let you know. We'll send out any updates for the next week. And we got everyone who was coming to fill out one of those cards with their contact information. And then I had their cell phone and I can text them. And then they would text me back and share, oh, I tried this recipe or what about that? So we began a relationship that way and I connected with them. So um, anyway, that, that just happened. And uh, also, so the most recent thing we did was uh, in prayer meeting a week and a half ago, someone said, so-and-so is really lonely and feeling isolated because of COVID. And I thought to myself, we just had a big wedding at our home or in our community. Our daughter got married and we had all these people there. And I thought, you know, we should try and duplicate something that happened for our wedding. So I said, let's have a lawn vespers on Sabbath evening at our home. So I texted all our church members and invited them to come 630 watermelon and popcorn, etc starting uh, for lawn vespers at our home, you know, and bring your own lawn chair. So we're going to be outside. And I, then I thought, I'm going to text my neighbors too. <laughs> so I texted them. I didn't even make a flyer. I just put that really short information. And I thought, this was Thursday. And I kept thinking of more people to invite. So I thought, well, maybe 20 people will come. Sabbath evening, 6.30 that evening. This was last Sabbath? The week before? Yeah, we had almost 50 people, and the neighbors were there, and they had their lawn chairs. So after we did the watermelon and popcorn and, you know, put whatever, macaroni salad, it was humble food, let me tell you. <laughs> and I said, I promise we won't run out of popcorn and watermelon. Anyway, people were just enjoying being together. And to see our neighbors with, we had a lot of hymn books, old hymn books, and passing them around. And they were all singing. We had our past, our former pastor, he's retired, singing with guitar and and then fellowship afterwards, people share, what, what are you thankful for? How's God blessed you? And people who are not of our faith were sharing. And we said, this is what the Sabbath is about, praising God. This is a, to remember him as a creator and all the blessings. So my, that's my, and then after that, I had someone who stayed by afterwards, a neighbor who's very quiet and shy, and she's a professional person. And uh, she stayed till 10 o'clock helping clean up our kitchen. And so I ended up inviting her to our next ASI meeting. <laughs> which is going to be in Southern California at the end of this month, because I said you would really enjoy the Christian fellowship that you would experience there and the testimonies. So I know ASI isn't meant to be evangelistic, but, you know, use what you can get. So uh, long story there, but I, I really personally feel that whatever contacts we make online, it ought to be with the intent of receiving the blessing personally of getting to share and then meeting those people and, and mentoring them along. So, I don't want to dominate after this. Just wanted to say that and then wanted to open the conversation a little bit more about thoughts about how we blend those two. Anyone want to jump in with that? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, even though I'm a, a digital marketing person and the, everything that we're doing currently is digital, I, I fully believe that... Um, you know, what is going to keep someone in the church and what is going to help them, you know, become more nurtured along is in-person contact, in-person relationships. And so um, it's not really an either or. It's not a 
digital evangelism versus uh, in-person traditional styles of evangelism. We're blending both of them together. Um, you know, some people uh, may be each easier to reach and just start a conversation and just get them entered into your world through digital marketing and through online uh, evangelism. But once you have that relationship started, our goal should be to transition them into in-person um, and maybe you do it gradually. You know, right now, some people are kind of afraid of, you know, face-to-face -face contacts and meetings. So maybe you start over the phone. Maybe you're texting. And then maybe you're um, doing a Zoom call with them. And then you meet in a, you know, public location, like a library or, or something like that. And then you just continue to nurture the relationship. Um, but the way that I think about evangelism, regardless if it's in-person or online, is um, using you know, Christ's method of evangelism. And the way that Jesus ministered to people and you know, won souls was primarily through building relationships. Jesus ministered to people's needs. He figured out you know, how to help them and how to be a blessing to them. And then that alone won influence over them. Once he had influence, then he made an appeal. He said, follow me, right? And so a lot of times I notice whether we're doing online evangelism or in-person evangelism, um, we go for the ask too early. We, we try to get people to do things before we build a relationship with them. You know, when we think about this in advertising, um, there may be a, you know, an intent to have an in-person evangelistic series, and we put out ads to invite people there. But just imagine if you're seeing an ad and you have never heard of the organization putting out the ad. You've never you know, had any you know, little bit of contact with them. That audience is what we would call a cold audience. And cold audiences are the, the most challenging to try to get to do anything because they're cold. And so what you want to do is you want to create a warm audience. And warm audiences are created through relationships. So when you build a relationship with someone that is building influence, and then when you have influence, you can get them to do things. And so um, this can be done through online marketing, uh, and that's primarily how we use it as a tool because you are, when you're online, you're somewhat omnipresent. You know, you can have a, a video version of yourself, uh, a video version of your sermon, and through paid advertising, you can get this video in front of thousands and thousands of people where you may never have the ability to knock on all those doors in a single day, but through paid advertising you, in one 24-hour you know, period, you're able to get that same video in front of all of these people. And now that just helps you build relationships with more people quicker, so then ultimately you can have influence, and once you have influence, you can get them to transition into in-person meetings and events and things like that. So. That's kind of how we blend the two um, in the world that I'm working in. And I think a more appropriate title for the seminar would have been online and in person. Um, because we don't have to cut the baby in, in two. You know, the Lord has given us a way <laughs> that they could be blended and we could keep the baby whole as did Solomon. Um, and, you know, as Chris mentioned, you know, there, there are people you could sense their browsing habits, what their interests, what are the things that they like. And there are limitations on both sides. You know, as an in-person evangelist, I don't have, I can't target a million persons based on their, their browse habits. Um, but at the same time, we realize that 
if a person has some needs that needs to, some felt needs that needs to be met, I can't meet that need necessarily online. Um, so I think it's it's a wonderful blend between both, and uh, we don't have to cut the baby in two. I'd second that, or a third it, I guess. Um, our organization is, is in a position to reach millions of people every month. Now, how in the world would I follow through with each one of those people? Uh, I can't do it. And so I have to have people who, like Narlin, have, have the ability and the experience and the team to work face-to-face -face with people. Uh, because there's, there's just no way to build. You can build a relationship up to a certain point, but at some point it has to go offline. And I would, I'd like to add a counterpoint. It's not really a counterpoint. Just an additional thing to what Chris was saying about your cold traffic. You know, in, in advertising, they say you don't ask the girl to marry you on the first date. And so in the first contact on, online, you don't, you don't ask for the decision right then. But at the same time, you need to be aware of your audience and what they're actually needing at that point. If you've ever gone online and looked for a recipe, let's say it's Friday and you're, you're wanting a special lentil soup recipe for your Friday evening meal, and you, you go to Google and you type in the keywords for lentil soup recipe, and you get to the site, and now you've got two pages where the, the cook is telling you the story about how her husband works on an oil rig, and every time he comes home, that he wants her to make this special lentil soup recipe that her great-grandmother used to make, and it's been passed down, on and on. You know, give me the recipe. Um, tell me the story later. So while Chris is absolutely right about uh, not making the ask, asking for the decision too soon. Sometimes they just want the recipe. You have to be tuned in to the user, to the person. We call them users. It's kind of an impersonal thing. But the, you want to be tuned in to the people that you are reaching. And you need to adjust what you are giving them based on what they need. In, in the search engine optimization world, we call it user intent. You need to meet the intent of, and what they need specifically. Uh, but again, to reiterate, uh, this is a good thing. You know, we shouldn't we shouldn't really be thinking about this as either or, because both online and offline need each other. Yeah. So I want this to be pretty relevant to you all. If you think of something that. Uh, comment or a question you'd like to contribute to this or something that's kind of on your heart you're wondering about, if you want to raise your hand, we'll acknowledge that so we can go in that direction. Is there anyone who's got any thoughts of it right off? All right, you, you can continue thinking about that, but just be aware, if you, if you have something you want to contribute, raise your hand because I'd like for this to be somewhat interactive uh, between us as well as you all. So I uh, just have a sense still, I want to emphasize for me it seems so important to make that one-on-one -on -one contact and I, um, I think that it's become more difficult during COVID to do that because people are afraid but if you were willing to be available I think God is opening a lot more doors have you all experienced that uh, since since this has happened people are more hungry for fellowship and association and appreciation for and we do have uh, the answers to what's happening, but I want to resonate with the the kind of the cold thing versus warm or being aware. 
I, are you, did you all hear Henry Stubbs' testimony this morning from Cuba, his story about Cuba? So I was in a, I remember here having a conversation with him. No, maybe it was watching him on a video. Did I talk to him or did I hear this online? There's a confusing, <laughs> conflating of brain wires crossing. How did this happen? But what he said that I remember was that they in Cuba have learned to become more measured and and jumping into Bible studies and learning that sometimes it's better to lay more groundwork and allowing the Lord to work in people's lives and letting the Holy Spirit say, okay, now's the time to ask if they would like to begin studying the Bible together. And being, I think sometimes we've taken it upon ourselves, the work of trying to initiate and, and harvest and, and, you know, all of this stuff at once. And so listening to the Holy Spirit and allowing him to lead seems like, um, this is definitely a time for that to not to not run ahead of where God is working in people's lives. And yes, go ahead. So when you look at the typical evangelistic methods, you know you have a date that you set for an evangelistic meeting. Then you spend a lot of money to bring in a speaker for the evangelistic meeting. Then you spend a lot of money for the Bible workers for the evangelistic meeting. Then the time comes and there's not enough people to be baptized. And there's pressure on the evangelists and there's pressure on the Bible workers because money's being spent, their tickets have been bought, and somebody has to be baptized because all the money was spent. And as a result, now people are baptized who are not ready because of the pressure that's felt by the evangelists and the Bible workers. And then a few weeks later, the people that were baptized are not there. Does that sound familiar to anyone? <laughs> so the method that we're looking at as far as, you know, the TCI model, which is total community involvement, and I'm just um, reiterating what has been stated already, um, about sensing the readiness, we don't have to set a date for, for an evangelistic meeting until we know that there are people to be baptized. It's like a harvest, a, a farmer setting a date for a harvest when the seeds have been planted or sown or cultivated. So with this method, it's lifestyle. You know, you're going out in the communities. If someone needs help with their yard, if somebody needs help in their home, if somebody needs help with their health, you simply meet those needs. And as a result, you, 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 you become their friends, and then you find out what their needs are. So what we did at Weimar, um, as we went out into communities and met our friends, then we say, all right, we have uh, quite a few people that has diabetes and they want to learn about, more about diabetes. So we now, as a result of what we, information that we have, we planted diabetes undone. We have a lot of people that we've been working with the community that are depressed, so we've planned a depression recovery program. And these are seed sowing programs. So now, because they come to the Diabetes Undone, because they've come to the Depression Recovery Program, there's, they, they show a spiritual interest because those programs, in a very subtle way, you know, introduce uh, spiritual principles. Uh, and then naturally, it leads to health coaching. And then naturally, it leads to Bible studies. And as we have enough uh, people uh, for Bible studies now, then we start a group Bible study. So on the, uh, every Tuesday, I did a group Bible study for the community. We didn't have to spend $60,000 for an evangelist meeting. We're still using the same evangelistic guides, guides that everyone uses for the evangelist meeting without the outlay of means or the pressure to baptize someone. Um, so now we have these Bible studies. So now we have enough of these Bible studies going. Our Bible worker was uh, doing over 35 Bible studies per week, different persons. And after doing that for about a year, we said, all right, we have enough context now that we should plan an evangelist meeting. Then we had Louis Torres come in. And we have a baptism of always 60 people. The blessing with this method as well is that we're not baptizing strangers who came in and made an emotional decision based on an excellent, uh, well-spoken speaker. They're making a decision based on intellect as well as emotion. 
So they're making a conscientious decision based on the relationships. And we have had, like anyone else, people that you know, decide that they're going to go on a different route. I'm not going anymore. The good thing about this method is they're 15 minutes away from us. So we've had one particular person who went back to smoking and drinking and, 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 you know, and substance abuse. And because I knew her well, I knew where she lived, I simply went to her house, knocked on her door, asked her how she's doing. She said, after I lost my husband, and if time permits, I'll share the story a little bit more. After I lost my husband, I went back into depression. I went back with alcohol. I said, well, I'm here for you. We took her back to the campus, put her back through a, a, a hydrotherapy program, got her detox again. And it's been two years now. She's still a part of our church, and now she's a deaconess as well. So th that's why this in-person method of friendship evangelism really works. Because she's my friend now, she's going to open the door. If it was just a Bible study contact that just came to evangelist meeting because of the flyer that I gave her, and she just came and got baptized because of emotions, then she might not answer the door when I go back to, to visit her. So it really works. I liked what you were saying about... Uh, finding out the needs in the community. Uh, it's critically important. So often we come in thinking that we have all the answers. And I, I, we're getting better as a church. I know that we're, we're learning about felt needs and so on. But so often I've seen people thinking that they've got all the answers and you need to know this right now. I'm, I'm deciding what you need. And it, it's the corollary with what we're doing, we do extensive research to find out what questions people are asking. We don't waste our time. Well, you can see some of them on the sign on, on our booth. Is it a sin to have a tattoo? That seems to be the popular one. <laughs> We've had so many people coming in and asking us about that, that question. Is it a sin to have t a tattoo? Why do Adventists go to church on Sabbath, on Saturday? Who was Ellen Hoyt? Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of, and our organization is trying to focus on ask, answering questions primarily about Adventists as an attempt to mitigate some of the negative content that you see out there. Um, but we're not just out there saying, you know, here's what we think you need to know. We're, we're looking at what people are actually asking. So it's our version. We're asking the digital community, what do you need? What are you asking? And I like the way you're doing this with, with your in-person community as well. It's, it's the most effective way to do it. Sure. Yeah, that's very, very, very inspiring. I love it. Um, using that, that methodology. Like I said, I've been in the church for about five years. I came in when I was 20. I'm 25 now. And um, during that, that process of, you know, Bible working and canvassing and giving Bible studies to people and watching them get baptized and now looking back, I know some of those people who have actually left the church. And um, there's a big push to do evangelism a very specific way where it's all about numbers. It's how many Bible studies are you giving right now? How many people have you been you know, baptized? And you know, if you just focus on getting numbers and then, you know, you look back, some of those people uh, will have left, you know. And the way that, that you're doing it is all about relationship. It's not about numbers. And when people have a sense of community, that's going to keep them in the church. And um, that's ultimately what we need. We need more people involved in the church and growing closer to Jesus 
not just how many people were putting in the, the baptismal pool. Yep. Yeah, the question. Yes, I do. Um, our church has looked at the issue of COVID and the fear of health evangelism. And one of the biggest things that we uh, perceive as a need is making the bridge from the electronic world into the actual world. In other words, they said, it's great to bring in a health program, but what we want it to do, we want it to actually bring back to us uh, the personal relationship. And so I wanted to hear a little bit more. You know, I'm not the tech-savvy guy, but I wanted to hear more from you folks on how we can make that bridge between the health programs and the church, from the virtual community going out and doing the uh, marketing, the advertising, whatever it is, and what resources would be available to help us at the local level to accomplish that? Is that primary? I think that's primarily an online question, right? Well, it's I'll make the transition okay. from the yeah. online to the yeah. to the local church. So we're developing those relationships. With the community, and reference was made to that earlier. You know, Absolutely. So I can kind of share a project that um, I've been working on over the past year, uh, where we've been working with local churches and uh, doing the digital marketing kind of for them. Um, it's a series called Love and War. Um, it's an online evangelistic series that is done in a really unique way. Um, it's a narrative style of the great controversy. Uh, there's not necessarily proof texting with our doctrines. There are some companion Bible study guides that go along with each um, video. It's the, the videos are about 10 to 15 minutes, 20 minutes at the most um, per video. So they're pretty short, digestible. And what we do, here's our strategy. And you can implement this for a lot of different things that we do in the church right now because of the world wanting to be virtual and people being afraid of in-person events. Um, what we do is we take ads and we run them on Facebook, Instagram, and Google, and we target specific areas um, based on where the church is located and which, which territory they oversee. When someone clicks on that ad, they're then directed to a simple one-page website called a landing page, and it's where they register. It asks them for their name, email, phone number, and their zip code. When they submit that information, they're then given access to the series. Um, an email sent to them, they log in to a portal, and that's where they get all 10 videos. So they get immediate access to all 10 videos. Um, it's not dripped to them, it's not a, a, a live in-person, or sorry, a live webinar um, where they have to you know, wait until the next day or anything like that. And what we found is that uh, about 20% of people who register for it actually binge watch every single video in about 72 hours. So imagine if, you know, 20% of the people who showed up at your, your health program or, you know, your virtual or your um, in-person evangelistic series, imagine if 20% of them attended every single night, right? Like, that's kind of what this is like. And the reason that this is happening is because we live in a culture today where people binge watch things. Um, when they are in the moment and they sign up for something, they don't want to wait two weeks to be able to, you know, get, yeah, get the next episode or get the, the next meeting um, or even be invited. You know, like kind of back to what 
Dave was saying, you know, some people are ready right now, you know, and that's, we need to be marketing to people wherever they're at. Some people, they're not ready. We're in a place where we're just building relationships, just trying to warm them up, get them ready so that we can just finally invite them to something. And some people just want the answers or they're ready to go. Yeah, and that, that was me too. You know, I was just dove right into everything and, you know, it was, it was perfect. So um, that can be duplicated for uh, a health series or lots of different series, that style, that format, um, where you're giving people videos like that. And where the church comes in is in the way that we're doing it is that uh, there's an interest tracker tied to it. And so the interest tracker will tell the church member which videos the individual the contact has watched you can actually see oh they've gone through episode one two three four five all the way through ten and so on so you know how warm the lead is and so you know when you reach out to them kind of what they've already been watching and things like that Um, and they're also getting some emails sent over to them uh, from the time that they sign up letting them know that there's going to be some people reaching out to them Um, to answer questions and things like that. And um, more directly to your question, it was how do you transition someone from online to offline? Um, And it's going to have to be uh, trust. You know, if someone trusts you, they like you, they they respect you, they, they see the value, then they're going to be more likely to meet with you in person. And that's why I recommend kind of feeling people out, seeing where they're at. Maybe it starts off with a phone call, uh, just praying with someone, getting to know them. Um, again, it doesn't need to be about numbers. Like, you don't need to... I remember when I was doing Bible working, it would be like every week I felt like I had to go through the the exact sequence of the Bible studies. Well, what if my, my interest had a question about, you know, a really, you know, emotional issue that they're they're struggling with can i veer off that and just speak directly to the problem that they're having and you know, that's okay so just build the the relationship with them get them to trust you and then you know the transition to in person will be so much easier because they'll they'll value that that relationship so that's that's what i've got for you do you have someone then that is manning that Contact, you're manning, you said that there's an interest tracker. So if someone is watching that and then the emails are being sent out, are you using the software like MailChimp or is there something else? Yeah, great question. So the software that we're using, we're using... Microphone. Oh, sorry about that. Um, we're using uh, uh, Kajabi. Kajabi is a, a software that we use to house all the content. Um, now, the interest tracking software for people to follow up and... You know, how's all the leads and the contacts? We're using Disciples, um, and we've kind of tied Disciples in in a special way to Kajabi. Um, and the developer there is, you know, if, if you reach out to him, he'll know what you're talking about, and he can probably do it for you too. But um, those are the softwares that we're using. And when it comes to the follow-up, um, we are partnering with local churches and we're running ads in their area and then those local church members maybe it's the pastor in some cases it's the elder in some cases it's just the members are actually logging into disciples and you know contacting them emailing phone you know texting giving them a phone call and they're just building the relationship um and this series is you know the way i view evangelism and there's so many tools in the toolbox right and this tool that we've created it 
really focuses on a younger, more secular audience um, because of the style. It's not a prophecy series. You know, we usually advertise prophecy series. Well, who's going to be interested in coming to a prophecy series? People who are interested in prophecy. Christians, right? And so we typically try to reach the other side with health series, and, you know, we get some more secular people there. But right now, um, the world is scared and in lockdown so you know when we're doing this this virtual style we're getting more interest from people who are between the ages of 20 and about 40 and they typically are male and this is like an untapped group of people in the church for evangelism um, that we're seeing and the videos are short we're again we're not proof texting we're not um, trying to get them to beat them to death with bible verses it's telling the story of the great controversy, and if they're interested, there's a companion Bible study guide that goes along with it, and it's just a slow progression. So, Can I just make a quick comment, and then we'll come to you. So I want to share another uh, more simple way. Of course, you guys can hear that David and Chris are, you know, they're specialists in these areas. And uh, for the less technological, I just want to share with you how we utilized the digital world as well as the, um, the in-person to find great success in the communities that I've worked with as well. And one of the things that has been mentioned is trust. And one of the things that I realized is that they trust their leaders. They trust their mayor. They trust their sheriff. They trust their fire department. So what we did is create a model that those trusted leaders are the ones that does the advertising for us. So one of the first things that I did is I got to know all the community leaders. I literally have their cell phone numbers both where I am in Kentucky now as well as in Weimar. And I got to know the leaders. I pretty much, I could just share with you what I did and then you could see how you could um, customize it for the needs of your community. So at Weimar, I went to the community leaders and said, you know what, I just want to apologize to you. And then they had a dumb final look on their face. They're like, for what? <laughs> and then I said, you know, for the years... Our school has flown over you, drove past you, and gone all around the world to help other people, and we neglected our very own community. And I said, I just want to apologize. I want to let you know that we're going to start a different plan, that we're going to focus on helping our very own. And then they said, well, how can you help? And I, I pretty much shared that. If there's neighbors that need cars washed, their gutters cleaned, their house cleaned, they need a ride to the doctor's appointment, they need help in health, I just want to let you know that every Wednesday from 3 to 5.45, 2 to 5.45, we're here to help our community. Now, when we did that, they now interviewed me on their local TV. They put us front page on their local paper and on their digital paper as well. They wrote articles about us um, and, you know, uh, radio stations, all the digital advertising. We received that for free from trusted resources. So now when we go to the doors... And I say, you know, my name is Nolan Edwards. I'm with TCI. Everyone is waiting with open arms. Oh, I heard so much wonderful things about you. I have this need. And as we're doing surveying, they're welcoming us with open arms because it came from their own leaders. So if you find a way to build a relationship with the community leaders, they advertise for you. The community trusts them. So when you go to them, they're going to welcome you with open arms. It worked marvelously. Excellent strategy there. I wanted to to address the the question from a strategy standpoint. You know, you're talking about how do you transition from online to offline? In the marketing world, we we have a saying that people have one radio station playing in their head all the time. W I I F M. What's in it for me? 
So everything that you do, when you try to get people to take an action, they don't care what you want them to do. They want to know what's in it for me. And I know this sounds a little secular, but you really have to have this in mind when you are developing your programs and your approach. What's in it for me? You're asking me to get up. Uh, you know, the, that seminar looks kind of interesting, but, man, I'm going to have to find a babysitter. Then I've got to talk to my wife. My wife's, I'm going to have to convince my wife. We're going to have to drive across town. I'm not even sure where that building, oh, that's an Adventist church. They're kind of weird. Um, what's in it for me? You know, there's a lot of friction points. So as you are looking for ways to transition them from the online relationship, hopefully you've been building some trust there. Because like, like both of them have said, this is very important. What's in it for me? Do I trust you? Find something that's in it for them. What's the benefit for them? Not what you think it is, but what they think it is. And this is one of the biggest mistakes that, that marketing, and, and I'm going to include evangelism in there, is we think we know what other people want. We don't. The only way you're going to know is by testing, by trying it, and seeing what works. Some of it will work, some of it won't. And the other quick point I wanted to make was if you are doing something that is health-related and you want to promote it online, you must talk to somebody like Chris who knows what they're doing because you will get your Facebook account banned. You will get dropped out of Google if you do it wrong. And Chris could probably tell us some interesting stories about trying to do health uh, stuff. This is a thing that, that the big tech platforms are really aggressive on, and you can be banned, and if you're nasty about it, uh, you don't handle it right, you can be banned for life. So uh, make sure you talk to Chris about any promoting any health program online before you get started, and it'll save you a lot of headache. I, uh, there was a question back here, and we're going to take it, but I just want to... Um, a little bracket in here, say I hope we can take a couple minutes to talk about the future of online evangelism because of the cancel culture. For myself, I see that there's a day coming when it's going to be over and all we'll be left with is our personal contacts because soon there will be no work done in ministerial lines but medical missionary work. And she uh, talks about people. She saw hundreds of thousands of Adventists going and ministering to people at the fireside and opening the Bible and a conversational study and people just going and helping their neighbors who are sick kind of pictures a pandemic situation. Right now, we're not going door to door helping our neighbors get well from COVID. That's not happening. But apparently, there's going to be an opportunity in the future to do that. But I do want to address the cancel culture and kind of what's coming if you all would be willing to forecast on that. But I want to take this question back here from the sister. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we'll target a local territory with ads. These are graphic and video ads. When the interest clicks on the ad, they're directed to a one-page website. It's a very simple page. We call it a landing page. On there, they can register. And uh, we're asking for their name, email, phone number, and zip code. Um, once they click Submit, they're then directed to a confirmation page, and Mark can call it a thank you page. 
and then they're sent an automated email where they'll get uh, their login credentials and they'll be able to log into the portal where they're going to be able to watch all 10 episodes. Um, it's not gated in any sense where we're dripping it to them. They can watch it all, um, you know, binge watch it um, like that. There's a companion Bible study guide they can download with each video. And um, there's some automated emails that go out. Um, I don't remember the exact sequence off the top of my head, but um, after episode one and three and five and somewhere in there, there's some automated emails that will go out letting the contact know that there's going to be some individuals who are ambassadors of love and war. They're reaching out. It's a complimentary free service from love and war, and we're going to, you know, be there to answer any questions and basically that's teeing up and bridging into where the churches are going to come in and start reaching out. Um, the churches get access to a disciples account where all of the interests are, are kept and they can see the progress of those interests and which episodes they've watched. Um, so yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. And uh, cancel culture, do you want to? Uh... Two things. Yep. Yep. Praise the Lord. Watch. I mean, yeah. You know, we watched it one year, one there, but the binge watching was amazing by people we sent it to. Wonderful. Um, secondly, I'm, I'm not a real techie person. Okay. <laughs> My husband has done some online evangelism using Bradshaw's presentation. Cool. And the, the, he's done it with contact friends, personal contacts that he has, and then he shares this. Yeah, so um, I'm familiar with the uh, the Hope Awakens uh, prophecy seminar they did last year. We did help them with with advertising that, um, but the new one, um, I know they have a lot of different things going on. So I'm not familiar with yeah, all of the different a, components. Okay. And then he can see when they're done with the, when they've completed the whole series and do they want to go on for another one or it's just been, he's really loved it and I think it's awesome. But I don't, I can't tell you about it. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to dive a little bit deeper in there and, uh, yeah, figure, figure that out. Yeah, there, I mean, there's so many amazing ministries that are doing so much right now in this space, and I think the, the pandemic has pushed uh, our church into this space a lot quicker um, because, you know, we've been talking about this stuff for a while, right? This isn't new, and uh, I guess we just, it was our only option, so we had to do it. So um, I'm happy to see everybody jumping in, trying lots of things. You know, we need to be just constantly testing stuff because what works for someone may not work for another, and um, there's many ways to accomplish the same goal. Um, do you want to talk about the cancel culture? So from my uh, perspective, how this impacts what I do through the paid advertising, media buying on, on Facebook and Instagram and all these places, um, it has to do with compliance. Um, what these platforms deem as something that's political 
um, is, is such a gray area. They can say so many things are political and anything that is political and being run as an ad, they have the right to just terminate your account indefinitely and it is very, very tricky to get it reinstated and uh, sometimes it's just impossible to get it reinstated and it's unfortunate. So at the end of the day, um, we have an opportunity right now um, that is an opportunity of the now and we need to take advantage of it right now. And we need to keep in mind that we don't own the, the, the audience that we've built up on these platforms. We don't own our audience on Facebook, all those likes and you know, your YouTube subscribers or your Instagram followers, we don't own that audience. The platform does. And at any time, and I know this has happened to quite a few people, um, they can come in and just terminate your account and it's gone. So the thing that you do own until they somehow figure out how to uh, ban this is uh, email addresses and phone numbers. So make sure you're collecting as many email addresses and phone numbers along the way as possible because um, I believe someday that will be the only contact list that you have and uh, it would be terrible for you to have a million followers on Instagram and then one day wake up and you have zero and you don't have any of their emails or any way to let them know that you've moved on to another platform or something like that. So that's, that's kind of how I'm looking at it. I would, I would add to that. Um, Chris mentioned the political stuff, and, and like he said, that's a gray area. Things that we don't think are political necessarily, uh, these platforms will call it political. If you're making any prediction about the future or talking about Sunday laws, you know, that's, that's a political issue. Uh, health, of course, with COVID, the, there's been a lot of canceling and, and terminating accounts because of any information that is counter to the currently publicly accepted the narrative. the narrative. And without getting into right or wrong or science or anti-science, just know that this is happening. People are losing their accounts. And like Chris says, you do not own your audience. And I would point out that if you think you own your phone list, forget it. Um, there's, in one of the bills that has been up in Congress recently, there's a provision for service providers to scan your texts and to not deliver a text if it's deemed misinformation. Uh, this is happening across the, the technology platforms and it's only going to get worse. And we could sit here and, and say, oh, this is terrible and maybe I better not get started or anything like that. But this is, I, I look at it as similar to working in China or Russia. You know, when, when those countries were closed, we still, we still worked there. And, you know, when China opened up, we really went to work. And now as China's closing back down, you know, we're having to go underground again. Um, you're not going to be able to go underground very easily online. So like Chris says, you've got to make sure that you are collecting the contact information as much as you can, but also realize that there will be a point where if you have a million Instagram followers, you're going to lose that audience someday. You're going to lose the ability to connect with them, even through email. Because, you know, if you use a Gmail account, 
you may not know this, but Google's scanning your emails. Now, they're, right now, they're not actually reading them. You know, there's not an individual. They say there's not an individual reading them, but they're using it to serve ads. So there are algorithms that are reading your emails. It's, it's only a matter of time before you write an email about something health-oriented or politically oriented, and, and it doesn't get delivered. So you, you need to have a mindset of doing the work now while you have that window. But also, don't invest so much of your, your thinking into it that you are devastated when you lose it. You know, you're you're going to lose it at some point. But we have this window, so we need to work while we can because you don't know what kind of seeds you can plant right now. So. I have a question for uh, Chris and Dave. Are there any private platforms, servers, hosts that you could maybe do your own website with your own digital platform that's not government control? Yeah, so that is a really interesting thing. Um, I don't know if any of you have heard of Parler. Um, yeah, so that, I, I don't know if you guys have heard of what happened to that, but um, they were using Amazon's uh, you know, cloud servers, and now it doesn't exist. <laughs> so, um, and there are some uh, domain platforms like GoDaddy who have uh, blacklisted certain websites and terminated. So, um, there, to my knowledge, I, I mean, I, I've actually had some conversations where there there are some ways, but at the end of the day, like if you're trying to process payments, who owns the payment processing platforms? Who's who? Which data company? You know, are you working with um, your domains, your your CMS? Like, it's more than just like one platform. There's so many different things at work, and it is really tough because big tech is everywhere. So um, we should all go buy printing presses. <laughs> so I just want to kind of come back around to while we're doing this. It's just I have a tremendous respect and admiration for those of you who are really into the tech world and helping to facilitate the spread of our message while we have this opportunity, and things are changing so quickly, we don't know from day to day what will be next. But I appreciate it. I really appreciate about the Ask an Adventist, uh, Ask an Adventist friend that you're working on that project so people can have a place to go to get answers to their questions. And for me, this as we're talking about the times in which we're living, it underscores that we as we're using these platforms, we want to continue to develop and network and strengthen the relationships we, we have with the people that are closest around us because that may end up being the only people that we can contact. And so for me, that's still our neighbors, our church community. How is our church perceived in the community? I think going to the, the mayor or the, the leaders in the community, what you suggested, Narlin, that's brilliant. Um, what we need next is, so when I go to my neighbor and say we're willing to do all this, then you send a team of young people that can come in and deliver all the services we said we'll offer. Because, you know, in these small churches, we don't have a team that can go and do all this stuff for people. But I want to encourage you all also, the experience we just had using our backyard for a Sabbath Vespers, please consider doing that because... People are less intimidated by coming to a neighbor's house in their own 
neighborhood where they already see us walking every day and we talk, stop and talk and have conversations. They already know us. And then they're like, oh, yeah, they saw another neighbor. And so the, the connections are already there. And then when we brought it in, actually, my husband, for the worship time, for the Sabbath, because we had a Vespers, and he said, you know, what do you all, he asked the people who were there, it's church members and neighbors, what do you all see happening now in our world? Tell me about what you're seeing, what changes have you seen in the last year? And people started raising their hands, and they were saying, the world is divided, we're split, there's all this controversy, there's hatred, what's happening in our world? And people were very open about expressing their concerns of seeing what's happening in our world. But even as they were sharing those concerns, we realized we were all united in, in experiencing this. And then he said, now I want to just go, have you go with me to Luke. And then he read what Jesus said about what would be happening. And he said, when you see these things taking place, lift up your heads for your redemption draws nigh. And the Sabbath is a reminder that Jesus is coming again. So we had that opportunity to preach the Sabbath, but not preach the Sabbath, just share it. And I want, we need to let people experience this. And so it's not just an intellectual ascent to truth that we're trying to squeeze out of people. And I think when they don't have that emotional, relational connection, uh, then it's harder to, I mean, maybe the Lord can work that out in isolated circumstances, but we want to be, extend the love of Christ to our neighbors and our community and assume the best and go without fear. And also the email address and phone numbers, that's what we've collected for years in our own church with those who come. So email, and I found that now my email list generates only a few people coming. Even if I have a couple hundred, only a few people will come to something from the email list, but text a lot of people will come and respond. So we're already seeing a shift to just texting. And the idea that our texts are going to be, that could happen soon. I don't know if you have any other thoughts about our texts being screened. But So he's just saying it's still on the table. Anyone have any other thoughts or perspective uh, as we're wrapping up here? Yes. Perhaps a comment more than a question. Sure. Okay, so he's suggesting that cancel culture is also as active within our church as without. Yeah. You know, uh, Elamite talks about the straight testimony that's going to be given. That's going to, you know, I, I, I know that we've all been trying to be soft and gentle, but there's a time in coming when we have the first angel's message, which reminds us of a creator. It takes us back to the institution of marriage as God instituted in the Garden of Eden. And also the Sabbath, and both of those things are being undermined. Sabbath for years, and now we've seen a complete flip of our societal understanding of marriage and the family. And I think that we have a, a, we need to have a voice at least in witnessing what God says through our lives. But there may be a time when we need to have a voice to say, this is actually God's plan. Any thoughts? Yeah. I want to leave you with a homework assignment. Patty alluded to it, but I think it would be well for you to read it yourself. It's councils on health page five zero six. And then, Council on Health, page 506, and Council to Teachers, page 550. So in Council on Health, page 506, it says, As religious aggression subverts the liberties of our nation, men will be placed in unfavorable positions, and they should, while they have opportunity, become intelligent in regard to disease, its causes, prevention, and cure. And those who do this shall find a field of labor anywhere. 
That's Council on Health 506. Now, Council the Teachers, page 550, Ella White shares of an experience while she was in Korenborg in Australia on how they had the students learn how to basic medical missionary work, learn basic hydrotherapy, birth, basic uh, remedies, and they, they sent them out into the communities. And everyone got to know them. And then as a result, well, not as a result, but a Sunday law was passed, a blue law, that no one was permitted to work on Sundays. So they continued their work on Sundays. The officers of the community came in, and they began to, you know, see what they were doing, that they were still working. And she said they saw, but they didn't see. They saw, but they didn't see. And the idea behind that is she said that the officers knew that they were so involved in the community. They, they were healing the officers' parents. They were healing officers' children and wives. And they were so in the, uh, you know, engaged in the community that the officers saw them working, but they at the same time didn't see. So as a result of the work in the community, they got freedom of religion for a time. And I believe that we're going to go to the same thing. We see that our religious liberties are being threatened right now. So it is a time for God's church to do what was been said many years ago, embrace medical missionary work. She says, soon there'll be no work done in ministerial lines but medical missionary work. She says, we have come to a time when every member of the church should take hold of medical missionary work. And we see that example in Council of the Teachers, page 550, how that gave them more time to have religious liberty as a result of the work that they were doing in the communities. Councils, Councils on Health, page 506. Councils to Teachers, page 550. So I'd like to close with a real quick story about being a medical missionary. So as we're getting to know our neighbors, we, uh, there's a gentleman in our neighborhood who got a new dog. He's moved into our neighborhood recently, bought a house. We just got to, acquainted with him and enjoyed talking with him. He's originally from another country. And very delightful person, uh, just casually talking with him as we're walking in our neighborhood. One morning, Friday morning, my husband got a text from him saying, please help, I've started drinking again. And we didn't know that he had a drinking problem. We knew his, he had separated from his wife. She was in the Bay Area and then his, and his family. So we went over there, and long story short, we, uh, don't, we're not alcohol rehab specialists. But we know one who is, and that's Jesus. So we told him we're not specialists, but we know Jesus, and we're going to ask him to help. So we started praying with him. He was so drunk at that moment. It was really a, a terrible situation. His dog had chewed up his sofa, and the bits of the sofa were everywhere. The dog was in distress because he had been drinking, binging, binging for a week. We got him to the doctor, and then my husband took his car keys with his permission, and we were praying with him and walking with him and helping him to get through this. But he's our neighbor, so we could just kind of step, stop in. He would stop in on his way to work, stop in after, his, after he's working, and maybe he's still drinking again. or you know. Anyway, this went on, and then he got over it. And another month later, we were praying with him. We'd stop by and read the Bible with him. Another month later, he had another episode where he, he was drinking again. And now it's been probably another month and a half or so since he's had that episode. But he's now texting us. We've had him over to our home for food, for breakfast. We've had him over for lunch. He's, he was over helping us with our wedding preparations. We go over and, and visit with him at night when we're walking. We'll stop by and sit on the front porch and read the Bible. We've been reading the book of John. It's like he's come to church with us. He says he's ready to know Jesus. He knows nothing. He's raised Catholic or uh, abused and a Catholic system when he was growing up. Really sad story, but 
God is working in his life. And we asked him, do you want Jesus in your life? He's the only one. And that doesn't mean a whole lot because he doesn't know Jesus. But yeah, he wants Jesus. And so I just, it's the thrill of our lives, as people said, to be a medical missionary for Jesus. Or, and every, God has a person or some people for every single one of us to reach. And I just pray that our hearts will be open and he'll give us his heart of love to reach those needs because that doesn't require a phone or anything, that personal contact. And that's what it's going to boil down to. So any other thoughts? Uh, Yeah, okay. All right, then maybe we'll have Narlin close with prayer after what you share. We've talked a lot about technology and some of the strategy and so on, but I wanted to touch briefly on how you build trust and how you build that relationship. It's about the user experience. It's about the, relation, about the person's experience with your online content. And I would recommend three resources for you if you're interested in learning how. I can't give you a 30-second course in search engine optimization or building marketing funnels and so on, but I can give you a few resources to look at. One is called Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. And this is a way that you can develop your, your message that you're presenting. Uh, in, a, in a way that people will connect with almost immediately. Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. The second one is called The Art of Explanation, and it's by Lee Lefevre, L-E-F-E-V-E-R. The Art of Explanation. It's not as easy to explain things as you might think. People have to be brought along in a series of steps, and the art of explanation does a very good job of of making that clear. And then if you are interested in the technology, go to the 3amcall.org. This is ASI's uh, Three Angels Messages project that we helped with. We've got four courses that are free on that site that are about YouTube ministry, blogging, uh, podcast, and I forget the the fourth one, but we've got four courses there that are free for you to take if you want to learn more about the technology. Three AM call dot org. I'll close with this encouraging statement and then we'll pray. It's from Christ Object Lessons, page two twenty nine. So after it cites how you know we are to reach every soul, and this is speaking of Christ now, it says his work was largely made up of personal interviews. He had a faithful regard for the one soul audience. Through that one soul, the message was often extended to thousands. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for Christ, who is our example. And we can follow his method, Lord, which is ministering to the needs of the people, winning their confidence, and as a result, say, come and follow me as we follow Christ. But it all started off with him mingling. So I pray that as we look at these various uh, avenues of reaching souls, Father, whether through the digital or through in person, we know that one thing is sure, that we must point them to Christ. So I pray that you give us skill and wisdom to do our part, Lord, to get them to Christ so that ultimately they can be saved. And I pray, Lord, that you give us all a burning desire to get involved in some kind of evangelism, Lord. Whether it's an online focus or an in-person focus, Lord, we're just praying that we'll do our part to be faithful in these last days. And as a result, we pray that as a result of our faith and feeble efforts, that souls truly may may be one to your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries.
If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.